Hello, this is the inaugural podcast of Priority Medical Training, and we'd like to be an EMS advocate for all of our EMS friends, students, and fellow professionals in the healthcare setting. Hello, everyone. I would like to welcome you to EMS Advocate, our first podcast. So today we want to talk about EMS educational standards in the United States and what these mean, what these are, and what we can do to not only enhance our standards, but hopefully this will increase our industry overall uh, pay, status, um, where we can do bigger things as we come down. So let's get right into it. Most places in the country have four levels of EMS licensure. We have EMR, emergency medical responder, EMT, emergency medical technician, EMTA, EMT, emergency medical technician advanced, and then paramedic. Some people may also hear it called EMTP, but most of the national registry nomenclature has changed to national registered, national registered paramedic. So of course, you know, we really like to talk about what it means to be an EMS worker in the U.S. So we're normally working on a 911 system or an interfacility system. Now those are just two of the common. We have people that do standby events at music hall, sporting events. Then we have remote medicine paramedics and EMS providers such as uh, oil drilling platforms and remote construction sites like the Alaskan Pipeline. And then we even have movie set people who work on TV and movie productions. So EMS, the word really doesn't encompass what we do because it says emergency and not always is it an emergency. So during COVID times, we also found out we were asked to do a lot more than many of us were ever given credit that we could have done. So let's kind of start at the beginning. The average person only comes into EMT takes a part-time class. There are full-time ones out there, but part-time classes, normally the average. A couple days a week, sometimes at night, sometimes on the weekend, they get their EMT, they take their national registry, and then they have entry into their state. Now, many states have just used the national registry as their entrance test, and then they give them a licensure from their state, and then they use the national registry standards to keep those up to date. Now, there are some states left that still require a state test but it seems the, the preponderance of states are moving forward and using National Registry. I think that's kind of good just because it's a standard that's across the country or getting across the country. So then we have EMT Advanced. They can do a little bit more. Now they were meant to replace or change the EMT Intermediate from the 80s and 90s to more of a modern system. Took out intubation, took out cardiology, and kind of added what I would think of life-saving medications such as Epi-1 to 1000, albuterol for an asthma attack, you know, things that are truly life-changing you know, and they can help these patients. Now, most states also give the EMT advanced the permission to do uh, intraosseous and IV uh, therapy as well. Then paramedic, of course, is right now in most states the highest level. There are some states that call them different things like uh, paramedic technician and things like that, but most states have a NRP or paramedic level at the top. Now, many times we also have uh, other states that add things such as tactical paramedicine, community paramedicine, 
um, critical care paramedicine, you know, things like that. So there is those other kind of nomenclature out there, but as a whole, we have these kind of average standards. Now, what's very interesting, the point of this podcast is think about, I have been a paramedic since 2001. My paramedic school was three semesters. Well, I live in Alabama where the common paramedic school, both community-based college in my area, is also three semesters. Hello everyone, Rick Wilkinson back with segment technically three, but uh, tag teaming on the last episode. So I left off where I was discussing, I went to paramedic school approximately 20 years ago, graduated in 2001, and it was three semesters long. And the local community colleges and many places around the United States are between three and four semesters on an average throughout the country. So when we think about this, in 20 years, we've added so much more, not just knowledge base, but procedures to our scope of practice. And we're continuing to grow every day with community paramedicine, tactical paramedicine, um, remote medicine. Uh, the military has prolonged field care that is being, uh, you know, long term, almost like a um, expedition medicine where you're unable to get the patient out for many days. So all of this knowledge and all these procedures have just grown phenomenally over 20 years. And to still look at it as a three to four year, or excuse me, three to four semester program is to me self-defeating to the industry. That we should be constantly growing and we always hear people all the time that say, well, my ex-chief, fire chief, EMS chief, public safety chief, private company CEO is not going to allow me to be gone for two years to get my degree to have a paramedic. I understand the economic financial implications of all of those arguments and I understand them. I've been on both sides of the fence, both the economic side of the management and the person going to school. But if we want to grow the profession, we're going to have to set standards that meet current scope of practices. Where there's such a difference sometimes where there's states that have statewide protocols and there's states that have regional protocols, there's states that have local protocols. And I understand state autonomy and we want to have, you know, those things. But when it comes to the EMS standard across the United States, you know, we learned after 9-11, after Hurricane Katrina, after other large events, I personally was deployed to Hurricane Ike in Texas. And we had units from all over the country coming and helping. Well, what happens when you say, well, you're going to work under the national scope of practice or what national registry paramedics can do? Okay, great. But you run into somebody that says, well, in my state, I can't crike. Or in my state, I can't do needle decompression without calling for orders. Um, you know, and, and we could go on forever on that. But without having a national standard or a national educational standard, I think this very much defeats us in a way that it's hard to move on with greater pay, greater benefits, and let's just say essential services. You know, there's only four or five states that claim EMS as an essential service, meaning they get, you know, state benefits, they get state funding, they get, you know, the same essential funding. Note I use that word, essential funding that a police department or a fire department would get. 
And I think that's our ultimate goal is to become an essential service. I'm not talking about privatization or uh, making them all public services. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need essential funding. And if anyone listening would like to have a podcast about that particular subject, I would love to do it. So please DM me or let me know. But as we move up with our essential standards, we need essential funding. And I would implore everyone listening to this to find a local elected official. Maybe you know them. Maybe you have a family um, you know, network. Maybe you know them personally. Maybe you went to school with them. And they're a mayor. They're a city council member. They're a state representative. They're a house rep. They're a federal elected official. You know, hey, maybe you know the president. Who knows? But reach out to them and start asking the question, what can we do to become essential? You know, we know during COVID, everybody was an essential worker. Now, I'm not taking away from any one one profession, but if you're going to say we're essential during COVID, why would we not be essential during non-COVID when we're still being asked to do the same job? And many people said, well, during COVID, we were allowed to do more things. Okay. One example would be treatment in place. We were allowed to go to somebody's house and do that. But this wasn't new. This was in the ET3 rollout just a couple years ago where they were contemplating doing this in small groups on trial basis where we could save the government or Medicare money by treating people at home and reducing ER visits. So this wasn't just something that came up during COVID. This was something that was in the works and it just happened to be rolling out and certain places around the states had proven that it could work. And lo and behold, guess what? We did it. So I would ask you to reach out to those elected officials. And even if you're not savvy with money as far as EMS funding and all those laws and legislative side, I would just ask them to come do a ride along. And maybe they see a piece of equipment and you go, you know, this piece of equipment, the new one does this. Or blood in the field, we need to have a negotiation or a discussion with a local blood bank. Can you help? Or we want to do advanced protocols with community paramedicine. Or our SWAT team wants to have a paramedic work on it, but they're not licensed. What can you do to help? And even though this politician or elected official may not understand EMS and the medical professional, but they're starting to understand the tie between them, that essential services that they may need to look at differently the next time a vote comes up, the next time a budget comes up, the next time maybe somebody says, you know, we want to start an ambulance service for our county, city, rural area, uh, things like that. So again, just uh, reach out to you guys, DM me anytime. I hope you're enjoying these. If there's a topic you want to specifically talk about that's advocacy specific for EMS, I would love to have you invite you on. And please share this with anybody that you think would would enjoy it or somebody, maybe an EMT student, a paramedic student, uh, an advanced student. Hey, how about a nursing or medical student? Just to let them know what we do, how we do it, and how they can be part of it. I thank you guys so much. Have a great day.